This is the Valaran Perspective. We explore working, leading, and finding value in an uncertain world. I'm Chris Vaughn. This is Benjamin Carsage. I'm Aaron Smith. Welcome, everybody. Let's get rolling. Welcome, everybody, back to the Valaran Perspective. Um, this is going to be a pretty fun one for us because we've got Ahmed Sigki here, who is not just uh, a super agile guy, but also somebody we've had the pleasure of working with and becoming very close friends with over the years. Um, and we've been really excited because we obviously love to pontificate about all kinds of random topics in this space, but uh, it's going to be really interesting to hear his perspective and dig in with him on some of this fun stuff. So we're going to keep it pretty casual, but hopefully we get into some meaty topics. Um, and uh, I also have to warn you, Ahmed, um, Ben and I agreed before this that we have to take a shot every single time you say business agility. So Oh, great. Keep, yeah, keep keep so in mind it's, be, Wednesday, it's Wednesday. So <laughs> I'll be alone by the end of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Our mitigation isn't working, Aaron. <laughs> so let's start talking about business agility. Oh, gosh. All right. Uh. So for, for just as a real quick um, starter, um, and I hate to do this to you, but for anyone that does not know who you are, do you want to give like a quick introduction of yourself, which I'm sure you've done many times? Before? Sure. So uh, the quick version is, I guess, take a look at my website. <laughs> There's the long version there. But um, the, the I come from a technical background, uh, programmer, um, went through a bunch of different things actually in, in my life from, uh, lean manufacturing to, um, graphic design to a bunch of different things. But, um, really at the end of the day, got into managing teams, managing projects, um, delivering. And then, um, after finishing my, uh, graduate studies, my PhD in agile, um, for a good 10 years or so, uh, I was doing a ton of consulting, helping organizations become agile. So leading um, large-scale agile transformations from um, people like Verizon Wireless to Nationwide Insurance, Caterpillar. So went into the embedded systems and hardware uh, part of uh, agile. So all of these things um, sort of gave me a, a, a deep richness of experience in what agile transformations really look like. Um, and then, as you guys know, this part of my career, um, Riot Games was actually one of my clients. So, uh, you know, got to know them uh, a bit more and then um, joined Riot Games as head of dev management. And then uh, since then, I've been with Riot for the past six and a half years or so. Uh, after being the head of dev management, I was the um, chief of staff to the CEO and then now Here's your first shot, head of business agility for Riot Games. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> there you go. Yep. So that's, that's, a, okay. that's a quick synopsis of, of, of my, my journey. But um. Cool. Awesome. Um, actually, so I, I really did want to talk about execution obsession. Okay. Um, and, and I don't. It's, it's something we're seeing everywhere. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. And it's like, it almost feels, I, I don't know if this is like my own kind of perspective, but it almost seems like agility kind of came out swinging for several years and it became this super hot thing and it is still this super hot thing. And it's like a thing that's sort of 
understood to be something we should all be doing. But there, it feels like there's almost this snapback happening now where the amount of cynicism around it is like insane. Like we go into organizations and it's like, there's like one guy who's like, oh yeah, I've seen this work. It can be really great. And then everyone else is like, yeah, that's something my managers did at my old company. It was a complete fucking disaster. I'm totally cynical about it. I don't believe in it. What, where's the project management spreadsheet? Let's just get some work yeah. done. And, and, and I'm like, I don't know if that's all related, if there's some kind of macro back and forth thing that's happening and it's part of the ebbs and flows of whatever, but like we're, we're seeing this and we're, we're seeing that that cynicism has led people almost back to embracing like traditional project management and program management, like almost obs- like an obsession, like get work done, get work done. And yeah. I'm, what what do you see going on there? Like, what are your thoughts on all that? So I see I see a different viewpoint to this, and, and a different spectrum here. So let me let me start by saying this: the this goes back to why people pursued agile in the first place. Okay, mm-hmm. so if people pursued agile in the first place for a execution optimization. Um, not for a true mindset shift around knowledge work and task work, then as quite common with optimization fads, right? Let's move on to the next one, right? But mm. th- this is, so this is where I'm seeing this a lot where, again, it goes back to the to the why, right? Why did you start agility in the first place? What What were you hoping to get out of it? Was it a simple efficiency gain, Right or an optimization, or was it truly an understanding of we need to change the way we work to match the kind of work we're doing, right? Mm-hmm. Which is knowledge work. Because here's the, here's the challenge we have, guys. There is a fallacy when it comes to optimization and efficiency in knowledge work, right? We have been programmed, and we, I mean we collectively, have been programmed in the business management space around efficiency. What is the performance? Can we do more? What are you doing? Can we squeeze more out of this, right? Uh, how much did you do in this time frame? Let's estimate. Let's refine. Like this is it, it. It is it is deeply integrated because of I actually like because of the nature of what work was before in factories and all those kind of things. That's where work started from, right? And so that makes ton of sense in that context. How many widgets can I produce per hour, right? Now that widget became, and I'm not going to get into this too much, but that those widgets became lines of code, became you know PowerPoints, policies, you know meetings, right? It became whatever, but it's just the wrong lens. Agility, it, from my perspective, and I, I say this because I respect other people's opinions on this, right? But from my perspective, the main selling point for agility is not optimization, Mm -hmm. or even speed. It's learning. It's a different way of working that is grounded in the culture of learning that allows you to learn about what you're doing and how you're doing it. And then the agility here comes in that I can actually change what I'm doing and how I'm doing it based on what I learn. That's the power of agility, right? It's not an optimization game. Mm-hmm. Right. There are for some people, they realize optimization benefits. Great. Congratulations. Enjoy it. But that's not from my from my perspective. That's not the why. 
And so to your point, Aaron, is there a sort of a, 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 a people going back to this optimization efficiency game? I think a lot of people haven't left it in the first place, mm, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think that's the that's the perspective I have. They were just doing it for that purpose. And when you do it for that purpose, I'll be honest, sometimes it doesn't work. Agile is not the most efficient. Right. Collaborative meetings, oh my God, they take a ton of time. Co-creation takes a ton of time. Iterative. So when I look at it from that perspective, I'm like, if you went in for efficiency and you didn't get it, okay, actually try something else. Maybe you'll get better luck. Yeah, yeah you're, you're, not, you're not trying to optimize... Like you're, you're talking about the optimization and when we think about optimization, we think about work. Like we were optimizing work and agility is designed around maximizing value um, and, and value and over time. Yes, which, which again, this is, this is my, my, my whole point. Learning is really important when you're in a knowledge space, right? Mm -hmm. it, because you don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the problem with learning. Learning is very expensive. Okay. Mm -hmm. When I'm on a path and I learn something new, what do I do with that? <laughs> I have a plan. So if I'm working in a way that is not quote unquote flexible, agile, right? Then when I learn, I don't know what to do with the learning. It's expensive to incorporate the learning because I actually have to blow up my plans and apply this new plan. But if I work in an agile, flexible manner, that has that learning built in. What that means is I can work in a way that as I learn, I can incorporate that learning without having to blow up my plans. That's why iterative development is iterative development, not for an optimization or an efficiency gain as much as for I can learn in smaller cycles. But again, iterative development doesn't work if you don't thin slice the product the right way because <laughs> yeah. then you lose the whole purpose. Right. Yeah. And you know, one of the things I love that you said is you said learning is really expensive. And and like mm -hmm. uh, that is that is absolutely true, but I also one of the things that I balk a little bit at that is like I know that when we say that we're all of us collectively, back to your point, coming from that old world a little bit, where we go, oh my God, but learning's so expensive. How can we just sit around and make time for people to just learn stuff? That sounds insane. But again, there's a part of that your brain that's like that optimization bias again, right? Like you're not seeing, you're not forward projecting what the reduced risk is in that yeah. system or what the costs that are being removed down down the line like one of the things we've run into a lot is seeing that companies are still not investing in in vision and direction and strategy a lot at all and it's like there's nothing more costly than spending six months building the wrong thing yeah, that, i was gonna say so you think learning is expensive what's more expensive is what not learning <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right? What's more expensive is actually not learning and building something that totally is the wrong thing you that, know, from my perspective, is a lot more expensive. That that pops up this, and, and it's a question I just run into so often, time horizon. If I'm, the only thing I can think about is the next couple of days, the next project I'm trying to do, the next feature I'm trying to do, optimization makes a ton of sense. When I think about the team in a longer term frame, learning makes a lot of sense. I want a highly, like we were just talking earlier today about preparation versus planning. Do you want a 
highly trained team that can attack any problem that emerges? Or do you want to have a really good plan that tells you everything that's going to happen, which again, may not even be possible in a rapidly mm. changing environment. And when I when I hear you describing it, it's like there's a short the short term bias is so strong. The short like and and when I if I'm faced with a short term problem, the payoff from learning is long term, like almost definitionally, because someone learns something and then they bump around and they do it wrong for a bit. And then over time, they figure it out and they figure out how to get good at it. And but that could be months sometimes or even longer. Uh, and do I want to invest the effort in helping someone learn and grow to be a better version of themselves. And if my orientation is always, I'm just trying to hit my next deliverable. I'm just trying to, and again, I'm trying to finish my iteration, my sprint. I want my yeah. sprint to get done on time. And and, that, and I think there's a lens here where it, my, my perspective again, it's, it's not, it's more than short-term and long-term. It's, it's the camera lens you're looking at because it's all one continuum. Mm-hmm. It's just, are you zoomed out or are you zoomed in? Mm-hmm. I, because I think it, 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 it's a false perception that it is actual, actually a short-term thing. There is no short-term thing, right? It's just, you, you think it's short-term, but guess what? You're going to have to pay the price afterwards right. in other learning and other pivoting and other, you know, but it's, it's a zoom in, zoom out, right? Mm-hmm. Versus <clears throat> if you zoom out, you say, oh, Great, you ship that, but it's not valuable. Guess what? You're gonna have to redo it. <laughs> right? And then it's funny. And then on the next project, what in that new short-term paradigm, you're still paying the after effects of those, of course, decisions you made in the past. So, so that's where I take it back to a. And you guys have heard me talk about this a lot. It's the mindset shift, right? It's we live in a new world. What got us here won't get us there, right? Mm-hmm. The world is fundamentally changing. I actually think this whole COVID pandemic has, I think for a lot of people, have, has helped them realize that it is a lot more volatile than we think. There's a lot more uncertainty than we thought, mm. right? And And working in ways that are assuming stability, that are falsely assuming that I can actually pre-plan and execute. I I really I really hope most people wake up and say, okay, that is very limited to very specific industries at this point in time, and that's it. You can just ask the cheeky question: How'd your 2020 plan <laughs> yeah, that yeah. you came up with in January? How'd that turn out for you? Yeah, that's and like- <laughs> for many people, Aaron, they're gonna they're gonna say, well, that was the pandemic year. Yeah. Okay. Guess what? There will be the disruptor year, the pandemic year, the you know um, the global crisis year. There's going to be a year for everything. Right. Yeah. Okay. So again, people have a choice. People have a choice to keep this um, mindset of I just want to squeeze more out of what I have, or I fundamentally want to work in a way that will optimize, and I am using this word, optimize learning, Mm -hmm. right, on the long run so that I can continue to win no matter what the future brings. Yeah. I think one of the things that is so interesting about what you're saying is this idea of us collectively and us as individuals being confronted with the brave new world. It's almost like the groundhog popping his head out and being like, 
wow, there is a lot more uncertainty out here than I thought. And there is, I think, this instinct we all have to like go back like the groundhog into the hole and go back to execution because it's, it's there's this yeah. visceral reward you get from optimization. You know what I mean? Like, oh, look at these five things I optimized. So I'm curious, like in the journey to get us or people like collectively on board that this is a mindset shift and that that's the real change that we need to make if we're all going to thrive in the brave new world, like what's blocking that or what's the what's the the friction to that or like what do you what do you see as that the progress of that major transition how many hours do you have <laughs> uh, uh, th that's a really complicated question because it is layers and layers of of complexity actually where do i start so i think there, there's a couple of things one is fear fear of change I know something works. It's not perfect, but it works. And mm -hmm. we have a hierarchy of fear within corporate America, right? And global corporate corporations, right? Um, employees fear doing wrong things, repercussions. Um, and this goes all the way up to CEOs fearing the market. Right and boards and boards feeling fearing stake uh, shareholders like this is a whole system built around fear of change. So you are asking for quite a fundamental shift where people just don't want to take the risk. Why take the risk? They don't know what the reward looks like. That's why I'm saying I think COVID. By the way, statistically, um, talking to uh, in the business agility survey, globally, other than North America, interestingly, um, COVID has accelerated the business agility journey for many companies, right? But in North America, actually, it was the opposite. It, it didn't accelerate, right? A lot of people, back mm. to your point, Aaron, sort of went back into Groundhog Day crisis mode. And that's, I think, what we're seeing. It's like... The transformation wasn't authentic. It wasn't real. It was opportunistic. So when shit hit the fan, basically what happened was, let's go back to what we know works. Let's stop experimenting versus doubling down. It's like, oh my God, we're now in so much uncertainty that we need to actually do more of what we, we know will help us learn quicker than going back to, to where we were. So, that, so that's number one, fear. There's just a, a massive sense of fear. Mm -hmm. Number two is education, right? So education is, I think a lot of people just don't know, right? Similar to when we, we talk about mindset fixed and growth mindset, uh, one of the number one things to help people have a more growth mindset is knowledge that there is a different mindset. Right. Similarly, I have noticed this talking to executives, talking to people that, a lot of people just don't know, right? They instinctively know that eh, something isn't jiving here. But when you start to explain the knowledge work, the, you know, this, you know, the uncertainty we need to learn, it's like, yes, that makes sense. How do I get that, right? But reality is that's not 99% of the entry point into this world of agility. Mm -hmm. The 99% entry point into the world of agility is IT, tech, is doing something that is giving us faster time to market, 
right? We're in this apologetic stance of like, we can get faster we, if we do this agile thing. Can you guys play with us? Okay, we'll play with you, whatever. What do you need? A product owner? Here's a product owner, right? Mm-hmm. You want us to prioritize with you? But there's no fundamental sh- mm-hmm. cultural shift, right? And so, and when we talk about cultural shift, and, and maybe this is shifting topics a bit, but I really think this is important, right? We got to boil this down to behaviors, we have to. What behavioral changes do we need to see? Right? And this changes from company to company. The shift here to agility, what does agility look like in your company is different than this person's company, different than this person's company. Right? Maybe there are things that are similar, but when we go down to a behavioral level, it is different. So unless we as leaders understand not this slap label of we need to become agile, but we understand what are the actual behaviors we need to start to shift in ourselves as leaders, first and foremost, Mm -hmm. and then in our teams, there will be no long-term change from my perspective, because at that point, you're simply changing process and tools, you're not changing behaviors and culture. Mm-hmm. And so there's there's a just this reversion that will happen over time. You'll just continually, nope, we're going back. We're going when times get tough, I think it's very interesting what you said about North America and COVID. <laughs> when times get tough, let's go back to what we know works. Um yeah. what do you think is different about North America to the rest of the world in the acceleration externally, external North America and the deceleration internal? I don't know. I, 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 I wish I knew Ben mm-hmm. S- specifically. I have, I have theories, right? Um, and, and part of them go back to, I think, the political response around different countries around COVID, mm-hmm. right? Is this a short-term thing that it's going to go away, just wait, you know, we'll be out by Easter kind of thing? Or um, no, like this is a pandemic, hunkered down, we're, we're, like different countries took a very different approach to it. You know, I know Australia, for example, where there was a huge boom in business agility from day one, they knew it was a four to five month lockdown. Right. So, Hmm. so immediately you go into like, Oh, I can't put a bandaid on this. What do I need to change? Right. It's the short term solution versus the long term solution. Um, That's one hypothesis I have. Mm-hmm. Um, the other is, I think the rest of the world looked at what's out there, right? Um, again, in, in, a, in a sense of, oh my God, what we have won't work. So what's out there? And you see this agile business agility stuff and it made sense. And you know what? We're in a severe circumstance. Let's, let's try it. Versus I think the corporations in the U.S. had more of that ingrained, here's the way we do things, let's go back to what we know works. But again, all of these are honestly hypotheses. Mm-hmm. I, I actually don't know why the adoption outside of you know the U.S. was more than inside. And again, this survey is not a, it, it's, it's a, it's a small survey compared to where the world is, so... Sure. I'm sure the sample set was wasn't, you know, that that wide, but overall nowadays I'm hearing a different tone. So, you know, 2021 
you know, companies are looking to reemerge. Okay, you know, are we coming back to normal? Yeah, but everyone I've talked to knows that the new normal is not the old normal, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. From how the workplace is set up to mobility around employees to the global nature of um you know talent and time like just there we're in a new reality i don't even think i have fully grasped yet and i'm okay not grasping it because i know it's going to change over the next year to two even more of a reason to look at agility as truly agility not just an optimization play but saying okay since we don't know Let's invest in systems of learning, right, quickly, super quickly, so that we can actually remain resilient, flexible, and free to win with our customers, no matter what this crazy future brings us. That's, I think, going to be the winning formula, mm-hmm. right? Not, um, not a short-term view of, of, of this pandemic and it's going to go away and, and you know, We'll be ready for the next one with a contingency plan. No, I think, uh, I don't know. I think this this is a wake-up call for those who want to wake up that um, we are in the new world order. You're listening to The Valaran Perspective. So as far as like, if, if I'm like the CEO of a company and I'm like, I see that this stuff is swirling around me and I'm starting to get it, like the reality check is coming in and I start asking myself questions like, okay, I, I'm invested, but what's the recipe, what, what are the like components of the recipe that stick? Like, is, is it leadership? You mentioned culture. Like what, like what are the things I need to focus on? Like what are the things that you see that actually work in those companies or those groups that are like, okay, we're going to take this seriously and actually start building this transformation in? So <laughs> it's fascinating. It's, it's actually quite simple, but it's very hard. Mm-hmm. It's leaders changing. It's, it really is that simple, Aaron. I've seen this stick when leaders decide that they will change, Mm. that they will set a new normal, that they will work on their own comforts and behaviors. They're going to stand up and be vulnerable. They're going to talk to people about their own failures, right? They're going to create psychological safety. Um, You know, they're going to um, make sure themselves that the the quote unquote back office finance HR are partners with the business, not the police of the business, right? They themselves are going to make sure that we have um, customer centricity and we bring the voice of the customer and where where they take ownership of this transformation versus it is a thing amongst a bunch of other changes we need to do to operate the business. Mm-hmm. Mm. Right. Again, coming back to that's, the execution lens. That's it. Yeah. If if they see this as we need to shift the culture of the organization, well, culture, I believe, is shifted first and foremost by the leaders. They mm-hmm. set the tone. Right? And what that requires them to do is 
educate themselves, which is an investment of time, right? It requires them to be vulnerable. We talked about failure earlier and openly admit that I don't know all the answers. I need to empower. I need to work with, right? Those are really hard things for leaders. They, they are. And depending on people's personalities and what they grew up learning and their, their mental model around leadership, for some people, that is a weak form of leadership. For others, they understand that that is the empowering leadership, the servant leadership that actually will inspire people to step up, right? There's, so, there's something there yeah. I, I want to actually Go, pull from an experience um, of having you be the discipline lead for dev management. Because I remember actually that style of conversation, and uh, because you you actually and and especially hearing you talk about this now, it's it's like this makes a ton of sense. Why you modeled that? You were often vulnerable, and you're also correct in that there was sometimes, and I'm sure you felt it and heard it, judgment towards you around that. You know, because at some level, what do we want? We want the leader that's going to stand up and say, "Don't worry, everyone. I've got this. I know the answers." I will get us out of whatever difficult situation we're in. And you would stand up and say, we're trying to figure this out. This is all and, part of the plan I just made up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and you did that um, frequently. And again, there was, there was judgment level that you, and again, I know you were, you're aware of it, um, where because you did, it was a different model of leadership and it wasn't, I think this is actually something where I'm, I'm thinking about it. I'm like, this is really hard. It's, it's really hard, not just because you were changing. And I believe your change had a positive impact on the entire discipline and how they viewed this. Even there, though, the layers below you hierarchically were pushing back with a message that said, don't do that. That is outside of our operating model. That's outside of our norm. That's outside of what we want from leaders. Yeah. And, and, and you're right. Like, I, I, I don't have a ton to comment there, but um, it was very hard. And because it's so hard, I think a lot of people may start it and not continue it. And so mm -hmm. back to the, to the question, what will make this stick? It's simple, but it's really hard right. yeah. and really complicated. Yeah. Um, but it, it's... Again, it's not rocket science. It's when leaders stand up and do this and do it with power and conviction and belief. And Aaron, you talked about this earlier, vision. You have to you may not know how to get there, but you have to show people where you're going. Mm -hmm. Right? Like that's that's the key. If you stand up there and say, I don't know where we're going. I don't know how we're going to get there, but please follow me. Yeah, that, that, that's not going to, that's not going to land well. But if you say people, here's where we need to go and, and explain the why. And if you don't know the how, that's okay. Right. And if you make mistakes along the way towards the how, you got to own them. You know, and I think, oh. yeah, go ahead. Aaron. Oh, no, no, sorry. Sorry. I, I did no, not mean no, to no, cut no. you off. But one, one of the things like that I find so fascinating about this is that I've seen it work the way you're describing it. And it's weird because you can't draw this very linear 
connection between I did a thing, I behaved in a certain way, and then these results happened, these yeah. operational results happened. So it's so much harder to derive that the the sense of value that we're all used to or the sense of accomplishment that we're all used to because, you know, I think Ben's uh, talks a lot about, I can't, I can't remember the... Uh, the author, but it's like you you come out with one of those cultural, those deliberate cultural linchpins and you repeat it over and over and mm. over and you live it over and over and over until it just like becomes part of the soup that everyone lives in. And and I I think that what's crazy about that is it's it's so hard to get there because you don't get immediate payoff. You know what I mean? Like you, you just, you have to like constantly recalibrate, recalibrate, recalibrate. And, and it's millions of micro recalibrations happening amongst all those leaders in the organization every day. And you have to, like you said, you have to have the vision to kind of stay the course and focus. And then only after that investment has that long tail payoff, do you start to see the rest of the org transforming? And so I, I, I get why this stuff strikes a lot of leaders as an intangible. They hear this mm-hmm. stuff and they're like, I, you know what? Like that all sounds like some lofty philosophical crap. And like, I get it. And it's like, no, no, no. Like if you do nothing other than this, literally right. nothing else yeah. other than this, I guarantee you will win more than you're winning right now. <laughs> I think, well, and there's, there's three words that are coming up and it's like patience. You need to have patience, perseverance. Yes. You need to have perseverance and you have to actually believe in it. That can be so hard because you're going to get challenged at every step of the way, like by multiple layers of the organization, um, especially especially if they're still entrenched in that old way of operating, asking you, why aren't you getting this thing done? Um, what? Hey, yeah, no. I and, and I mean, how many times did this happen to us where we would be in a situation and we're like, no, this is how you attack that problem. And they're like, yeah, I know I get the like highfalutin the agility values and all that, but like, we need to solve problems right now. And I'm like, I know you need to actually focus on the culture of that team. And it's like, Oh yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. I get it. But like, but like, (laughs) could we just, just, why don't we just estimate again? Maybe if we just did a better estimation session, we'll get better results. And it's like, no, like, and that disconnect, you're constantly confronted with it. You're, it's like, it's, it's endless, the pressure. Yeah. I mean, it's, Two things come to mind as we're talking about this. One is recognizing that this is a deeply human journey. Mm. Deeply human journey, right? Because for most of the companies we're talking about that are in this space of uncertainty and VUCA and knowledge work, they're heavily... The, the, their most important asset truly is humans, right? You're not you're not in a factory here where my most valuable asset is my production line, and if I need to shift my strategy or build a new model of the car, it's all about how do I optimize that factory line and how do I change the robots and how do I? No, you're talking about a whole different. You're talking about humans, not robots, mm-hmm. right? And so. When we talk about these journeys of change, starting with the leaders who are humans, right? Um, all the way down, humans need humans to inspire them, not systems. Right? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be inspired by a system. I'm going to be inspired by a human, right? And so hmm. whether that comes from the top, 
the side, you know, who, wherever. I've seen change come from wherever, but it sustains when the top leads it, right? So, so and, and interestingly, and I think people forget this, the most agile part of any organization is its people. That is the most agile, like no system you put, no process you design will be as agile as human beings. And the opposite is true. No, like systems are not as rigid as human beings can be. Mm. So you can put the most agile system in the world and you have just some people who are like, (laughs) hell no. Right. And you can put the most rigid system and have people that get it and will make the most agile organization out of it. It's about people. And once you realize that, you have an oh shit moment. It's like, I can't, I can't force that. I can't measure that. It's patience, it's perseverance to your point, Ben, right? And it's not linear because people aren't linear, right? People are extremely complex, right? Um, And many times irrational about change. And one thing can inspire them and and the same thing can uninspire someone else. And it's a high touch journey where leaders have to spend Mm -hmm. time talking to leaders, right? So if you go back and reflect on, on our time together, it was high touch, yeah. right? It was like, we talked a lot. We spent a lot of time together. We ate a lot together. We like spent time together. It was like high touch. Why? Because we are going deep into beliefs, values, habits, mindsets, and we are slowly showing different perspectives. You can't do that fast. You shouldn't do that fast. Right? right, it takes time because you need to trust the person you're listening to. You need to know that they're credible, that they're reliable. You need to have that intimacy with them, mm-hmm. right? You need to understand that they will take you somewhere that is valuable. Like those are things that I just cannot put on a to-do list. I can't. Yeah, one of the things that's so interesting about what you're saying too that's coming up for me is how context sensitive some of those cultural shifts and cultural elements are to where I can say, you know, here we're customer focused. Like I can say that I can write that on the wall, but like, what does that really mean? And I think what you're speaking to is the nuance that comes out when you have the high touch, high alignment system where you're, cause, because I, I remember one of the things we did at Riot that I always loved, and I, I actually still don't know where this came from. It might've come from Mark and Brandon, but it was genius, was the retelling of stories that illustrated a concept. It was like we would get up, the whole company would get together and get up, and people would get up and tell stories. Like, And I remember just this guy did this thing and this challenge came up and the players were pissed and then he responded this way and that is exactly what we're... And it was like through that context and all the nuanced pieces of like how he behaved and what he did do and what he didn't do, you were like, oh, okay, I get this. I think I understand this. And that was so powerful. And and it's interesting because you can't just walk up and like write a document 
and just say like, okay, this is these are the things you're supposed to do now, and then the culture will be good. It's it's so so nuanced and context sensitive, and and it's like ethereal almost. It's you know, it's like a and that's what it's it's very non mathematical, and that that's like yeah. you kind of called that out. And it's so interesting. I think that makes it a lot harder, especially for us very technical people. You know, mm-hmm. there's there's something I think, and it relates here into what you were just saying too which is it's when we train agile fundamentals, you know, something you taught us was the process of picking your process is an agile process. And (laughs) what's going on, what you just described is the process of being a leader attempting to create cultural change to drive more flexibility and agility inside of an organization requires the principles and values of agility. You're, you're engaging in that way you know, and some like Aaron, you just brought up like storytelling, that's a mechanism. And it, in certain contexts, it's very powerful. And in others, it might not work at all if they didn't understand the story. And so you can't, none of this can be laid out as like, here's your transformation path as a leader, as a CEO, just follow this. And in six months, you'll be good. It's actually, you have to have the patience, the perseverance, the belief, and then you have to engage in those high touch moments. Why are they high touch? Because you're learning every time. And you're, and you were teaching us every time and you were engaging with us and you were learning from us about the organization and about what was going on. And so in that you were, there was like continual, and this is, this is like, it's the subtlety of, of all of this, where it wasn't that you were doing a retrospective with us, but it was that you were continuously improving your approach because continuous improvement is not about retrospectives. It's about an attitude, a learning approach towards any problem. And the problem that you were trying to solve or the opportunity really that you were trying to unlock was how do we bring agility into this organization? And it, that is an agile journey. Um, because it's people, again, it, it's people and it's learning, you know, we're going to learn how to do this. So anything where you cannot pre-plan and put on a chip and press a button and execute it, there's a learning component to it. Right. Um, and once you once you recognize that there there is a learning component, then work in a way to incorporate that learning, um, or else guess what happens too. So we talked about you know learning is expensive. All this, if you put the mechanisms to learn, but you don't have a process, a way of working that can actually digest that learning into something actionable, mm-hmm. over time people won't learn because there's. Like I go out, I learn, I know this new thing, but we don't change anything. So mm-hmm. you're telling me in an indirect way that learning isn't important mm-hmm. because you're not using it. Yeah. Yeah. We've right? coached so several learning. companies yeah. on this point. It's like what, like uh, the amount of uh, uh, postmortems, retrospectives that just get filed into a cabinet somewhere. <laughs> and then it's like the people, and even worse, if the um, the folks that are involved with those are like, I'm pretty sure this postmortem looked exactly like the last three I did. <laughs> it's just, all right, sweep that under the rug. Like, and again, it's, yeah. it's, it, to, that's all of us. Like I, I saw this in my yeah. work and we've seen this with some of the companies we've worked with. It's, it's a challenge, right? Like it. And, and that's just the learning of how you work. Yeah there's a more painful learning in what you work on or what you're building. Oh yeah. And yeah. I've seen many companies and many people on teams on the front line learn that what we're building is not going to resonate, but they, the, the way the company works is so not agile 
that there is no way to incorporate that what we're about to ship is going to go flat. And they still ship it because there's a budget, there's a plan, there's a, you know, a KPI, there's a bonus at stake. So, you know what? Might as well ship it. I don't care. And so it's it's a system, right? Yeah. That like if you actually try to incorporate the learning, you're punished. You're 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 yeah. You're, why didn't you, you think change of this? the date? Yeah. Or why? Why yeah, did you did you guys not do a good enough job planning? Is that what happened? Like yeah, 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 yeah. That's exactly it. So <laughs> so you know you don't know your customer. Yeah, things changed. You know, but no. I, so those are the, the those are the main things. But I I want to just you know I know. Um, time here, but I want to go back to the, uh, I want to tell you a story and maybe I've told you guys this, but for, for the other listeners here. So about boiling it down to, to behaviors, I think that's really, really important. Um, this was when I was, uh, with, uh, with Verizon, we were, um, leading their, their transformation and the agile transformation had been on, for a couple of years at this point. And it was like ups and downs, good and bad. It was one of, I think, 10 or nine transformations that the company was going through. So here comes a big director's meeting. So you have the top 200 people at, at, at the company coming together. And the agile transformation has a 45 or 50 minute slot on the agenda. And the transformation team is like, what are we going to do in those 50 minutes? Because we really need to turn the ship around here. Like we're getting pure lip service from the leaders at this point. And like just nothing is changing. And so we came up with this, this very creative um, way of exposing the problem, um, which was we, we had this stage um, there. So we put a, a, a flip chart on one side that said not committed to Agile and then a flip, a flip chart on the other side that said committed to Agile. And I asked all 200-ish um, leaders to stand up, including the C-levels that were in the room. I asked the C-levels to stand beside me, so they're not part of the exercise, right? And I said, could everyone please stand what, where on this spectrum you're committed to Agile? Everyone stood up, everyone moved, moved, moved towards the committed to Agile. Everyone stood like as much as they humanly could. Um, there was no six feet apart back then, but um, they all like clustered around that committed to Agile. And I remember one of the 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 sea levels leaning on me is like, see, we don't have a problem. I'm like, I'm not done. Just <laughs> um, and then um, we said, oh, guys, guys, sorry, sorry. We, we forgot to... Um, to define the spectrum. So we took away those two flip charts and we put five flip charts along the stage, like as a spectrum. And we defined commitment level one. We wrote that commitment level one. And we wrote down behaviors, specific behaviors. So the behavior in level one, I remember, was send my people to training, to agile training. That was commitment level one. Commitment level two was the behaviors of level one plus, and I, I can't remember exactly, but it was like, you know, we had some some practices that we wanted, you know, everyone to, to start to adopt. It was like, check in my weekly staff meeting how many teams are doing it, whatever, right? So be, very specific behaviors all the way up to, to level five where it was all the other levels 
And I remember at level five, it was, I will limit work in progress. I like, it was I as a leader modeling these specific behaviors. And I said, oh guys, so sorry. Uh, please read these five levels of commitment and stand what you're uh, beside the flip chart that you're actually doing. Hmm. And everyone just like walking across the stage, everyone almost to that level one, a few people at level two, and I'll never forget one person, one individual at level three. And then I leaned on the C person. I can't remember who it was. I said, that's your problem. (laughs) (laughs) That's your problem right there. You have words of committed, but when you boil it down to behaviors, what are they committing to? Send my people to training. That's not going to change an organization. Yeah. Right. But, and then this is the key. I told them now, Each VP, gather your directors around you and stand at a level that you're committing to. And we will publish these levels of commitment publicly to the organization. And the, 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 I think it was the CMO and the CIO together said, wait, let's talk all together and all of us commit to one level. I'm like, okay, right? So it took them two weeks to do it, but they all wow. committed to level four. They, they, like, they committed to level four. They sent out an email to the organization saying, here's exactly what we're committed to and hold us to this. And that was the real spark of change in the organization. It wasn't send my people to training. Mm-hmm. And so really just wanted to illustrate that story from two perspectives. One Boil it down to behaviors. What are you actually looking for, right? And if you're struggling, ask yourself, do you know what you're looking for? And articulate it. Articulate the from and the to, right? And number two, the leaders have to model those behaviors. Mm -hmm. There's no way that I can outsource this transformation to agility by saying, yeah, y'all do agile, I'm cheering for you. I'm agile already. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> I, I don't need to I don't need to do anything. I love that story. I, I actually think that that is a fantastic place for us to wrap, even though I really don't want to. And I just want to make that clear. I'm having like a super good time right now. Um, so uh, thanks for everybody. Uh, thanks everybody for tuning in. Uh, Ahmed, I feel like I like hopefully we can do this again. This is like super, yeah. super fun. Um, and, uh, yeah, send us feedback and we will see you next time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Valarin Perspective. Please send us your thoughts at perspectives at valarinconsulting.com. V-A-L-A-R-I-N consulting.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Valarin Inc. Thanks for listening. Now get back to work.